Welcome to the Unstoppable Yes You podcast, where we celebrate the achievements and resilience of Caribbean people to inspire the next generation. I'm your guest host, Patrice Deshabert, bringing to you a new series called Behind the Scenes. In this episode, I'm speaking with Sean Michael Field, director, cinematographer, filmmaker, and owner of Island Boy Films. If you wind your ways to the Marshall Montano on Ashanti collaboration video for The Road, then you have experienced the magic that Sean creates on screen. As the director of photography, he is the chief over the TV, film, camera, and lighting crews, and he is responsible for making artistic and technical decisions related to the image. Sean is a filmmaker known for his short called Sukuya, a thriller film shot in St. Lucia. Sean has a lot in the works currently with commercials in production for Ciroc. Let's talk about all of that. Welcome, Sean. Hey, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I know you have a busy, busy schedule, so I appreciate you taking the time to share your role behind the scenes for our listening audience. So looking at your resume, actor, director, writer, editor, producer, filmmaker, you have worn, you have worn many hats. You could actually do this entire series. I don't need anybody else on this show besides you. (laughs) Seriously though, today I want to talk with you about your role as director of photography, commercial director for brands such as Ciroc, Burger King, everything that you have going on. So for the listening audience who may not have any idea what a DP is, Please tell them what is a director of photography. A director of photography is responsible for putting the action in, that's happening in front of the camera into the camera. So essentially making sure that the lighting is correct, that the mood and the feel go with the intention for what it is being shot. So if it's a gritty horror film, uh, choosing the right kind of lenses and camera and the setting and the emotion that you want to capture versus if it's a commercial client where the lighting and everything is completely different. So you make a lot of the decisions on the look and the feel of the image people are going to end up seeing on their screens. So tell us how you got interested in that field, Sean. When I was 10 years old, my grandmother gave me a camera for Christmas and it was one of those thin long, you know, point click and push this thing at the bottom to wind the film back and forth and set me on a pathway to taking pictures. And so throughout university, I ended up doing photography class one summer. I had to develop 30 photos a week. So I had to take a roll of photos and then go into a dark room and develop them and, you know, got to play with texture of paper and these type of things. So I really started honing my eye for photography in university while doing my degree in graphic design, which blended the two together. Then coming out of university, pivoted to uh, working in corporate America and doing computer programming, and then found my way back behind the camera years, years, years later when I moved to Los Angeles and I was doing a short film as an actor and I was not working in one of the scenes and the DP injured himself and we needed a shot low on the ground. And so I said, I'll do it for you. I was, I was already sitting near the ground and they put the camera in my hands and I knew nothing of <laughs> what to do. But I knew I knew how to operate the actual camera, but I knew how to frame what it was that I wanted to see in front of the the, the lens. And I did that. And I still stayed in front of the camera after that. I really didn't really get behind the camera until about 10 years ago. 
Wow. That's a beautiful journey, Sean. And I remember when we spoke before and I interviewed you for The Muse, um, we talked about your role, um, the first film in LA. You mentioned, you know, you started in acting, right? So tell us about that because there's a connection with Will Smith, right? Yeah. So I landed in Los Angeles in, I think it was July, 2007. And about a week into being there, someone said, Hey, come and sign up to be an extra at this place. So I went there and when I arrived, we were late. So there was about 200 people there and I had to stand up. And I remember and give you a piece of paper to fill out. And I was looking for someplace to, you know, write. And I ended up writing on the window of the door, you know, holding up the piece of paper. And I was laughing to myself, like, oh, this reminded me of the scene from Men in Black where he had nowhere to write, you know, and the broken pencil and all of that. And, you know, going through the 200 people, I ended up getting pulled out of the line. And uh, 48 hours later, I'm standing in front of Will Smith doing Hancock. And I'm just like, what are the chances that that was going to happen? <laughs> Right. Like everybody wishes for that, right? Like to be walking down New York street and be discovered or walking down the sidewalk in LA or at a restaurant and just being discovered. Um, and you, you basically were because you were pulled out of that line. So that was, that was an amazing thing to happen. When you first walk in, you have to go to the right and hand in that piece of paper and then you rejoin your line on the left and then you go in a room and you, they take your pictures. And so while I was in the, the line on the left, they ushered a young woman in straight to the front of the line on the right. And then they walked her into a back office and someone standing in front of me said, hey, I, I guess it is true. You can be discovered here. And I remember hearing that and just thinking, oh, that's interesting. Never in a million years thinking that when I walked into the room that they would look at me and then they would you know, get on the phone and then they'd ask me to you know, unbutton your shirt. And I was like, oh, boy, I don't I don't think this is going to go well <laughs> Unbutton my shirt. You know, I have this tattoo, like, I don't think this. And so she then said, can you go wait? Uh, they probably like that tattoo. But that's what they wanted. So she said, can you wait outside to the right? And then a guy came and took me into the back room. And then everybody was looking at me. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm the guy that got pulled into the back room. Wait, what's the tattoo? Uh, it's a phoenix on my neck. It's for my grandmother. I held her hand and watched as she passed. And I got that tattoo on my neck to always remind me of her every day when I look in the mirror and see that there's a phoenix, that her spirit rises again. Within. Oh, my God. I am getting chills because I feel the same way. And I was looking at a phoenix and trying to decide, is it a phoenix? Is it a cross? What is it? I already have a cross, but I wanted something too to represent my father because he was my best friend and he passed. And so, yeah, that's beautiful that you honored her that way. Yeah, it was mandatory. had to be done. And so that's a long way to come from Barbados to L.A. Um, tell us about like growing up in Barbados for a little bit and how like being a Caribbean person in the entertainment industry, has that hindered or helped to grow your career Like when you connect with other Caribbean people? So growing up in Barbados was the best upbringing you could have had, especially at the time that I was raised there. You know, it was before technology and things were different. It was a lot of green. It's a lot of going to the beach every weekend with family. My dad has six brothers and one sister. I have 14 first cousins. Three of us are born the same year. So it was like having this very large family to play with all the time. And they were heavily into going to the cinema. I was named after Sean Connery. We went to the cinema. My parents went to the cinema. Well, we, I was there too. So we went to the cinema the night before I was born. And I was supposed to be named Christopher. And the next day I'm born and I'm Sean. Wait, was Christopher for Christopher Reeves, Superman? No, I don't know where they had the Christopher from. But all of the, 
all of the gifts were already bought. Well, he wasn't Superman yet, actually. This is 1972, so definitely no no Christopher Reeves as Superman. But it was just Christopher, and all the gifts were bought with the name Christopher on it. That is too funny. And they were like, and your mom fell in love with Sean Connery, much like I have. I love Sean Connery. I was like, no, he's going to be Sean. <laughs> yes. See, what happened is that she went to the cinema, and she saw the man named Sean Connery, and she decided it was time to name her son after him. And you must just do his voice. You just have to be able to do his voice. <laughs> it's mandatory to be able to speak like the man that you were named after. <laughs> Big family in Barbados. Lots of fun growing up. Your grandmother gave you this camera. You fell in love. Let's go to your last production. Take us behind the scenes with you. We're on set and we want to see a day in the life, a sneak peek at what you do. So my last production was last week. I shot the new summer campaign for Ciroc. And I was in Los Angeles, you know, woke up in the morning. My producer came, collected me. We went to our breakfast and then I arrive on set. I keep a very, very, very low profile. I'm not that director that wants everybody to be calling me sir or anything like that. I'm not trying to dress fancy. I'm in a hoodie. I'm there to work. And so... You know, some fun things that happened, like when we broke for lunch and it was time to go back to set and the guy driving the van, I went to get in the van and he's like, hey, buddy, you know, there's no more room in here. And then one of the, I think, makeup artists or someone was like, oh, no, let me get out. That's the director. And then his face, he was so apologetic and he was so sorry. And I just saw the look in his eyes, you know, and it's interesting because you're on set and traditionally a lot of the people are white and you're black. Right. So they're not expecting the black guy with the blonde dreads to be the director. I'm expected to be a PA or I'm expected to be something that I'm not. But, yeah, you know, it's fun. I, I was running uh, three cameras, two crews simultaneously. We had an A cam, a B cam and a C cam. We were running with a Phantom, which is a thousand frame per second super slow motion camera and two Aries. We were shooting two spots in one day with and without talent. So it's a lot to juggle. And this is a commercial spot moving video, as well as some photography. You did some photography. So funny enough, I brought my I brought my stills camera and I shot some photography of the product in place. Because what we do for stills is that we will take a stills from the video. So we will roll on the shot, but we won't have any action happen. But I didn't want to just do screen grab stills. So I wanted to actually get like a nice 7,000 pixel, you know, photo image. So I brought my photo camera because I do photography as well. I shot photos, which have come out phenomenal. So I just wanted to add more for the client. I know it's Ciroc and they have a lot going on, but any opportunity that I get in any project that I'm doing to add on, give added extras, you know, without charging or anything like that, just to add to the project. I always feel that if you can do more, you should do. And so I try to. Well, that's a good a good model to live by for sure. And I was going to ask you about your type of camera, but you already told me like what you what you uh, shoot with. But is there a preference? Well, I own a red. I shoot with a red Gemini. I came into the red world about 11, 12 years ago, right when they were first starting off. And I did not like them whatsoever. They've grown on me over the years. They've gotten better. And specifically the Gemini, which I have. I think is one of the better cameras for black skin. Unfortunately, 99.9% .9 of all cameras are not made for black skin. They're made for white skin, specifically, usually pale skin from Japan, because those are their test subjects. So a lot of the times, if you see films that are involved with both black and white people, the DP and the lighting crew have a heck of a time dealing with lighting. Up to yesterday, for example, I'm looking at my post-production with my colorist, 
And, you know, I had to have four different passes done yesterday. I need her skin darker. I need her skin darker. I need her skin darker. She's black and the girl next to her is white. And you have her face looking like the girl that's standing next to her. I need it to be black. You know, like her, the rest of her body looks black, but her face looks white. And I do understand there's light on her face and there is sun, but she's still a black woman. So she needs to look black. And so it's those, those things that I run into, you know, and I try to make my things unapologetically black, like we do Syrah campaigns. And also to include elements from the West Indies. So I had black cake, you know, used in the holiday ad. I had dominoes being played in another spot. I try to always make sure that there's something of West Indian nature involved in any project that I do, whether it's I'm doing a film and I put a t-shirt from a brand of, of a friend who's up and coming. And those are the things that are important to me. They're, those are vitally important because when you watch film, a lot of people don't realize when you watch a film and you see an actor wearing a T-shirt from a college or a university, if it says Yale or Stanford, that's actually where they went to school. And they're doing this on purpose to give love to where they went. Well, you see, um, what's his name in Blackish? The lead actor. He went to Howard. So he always repping Howard. Exactly. And it's important to do those things. Which is where I went, by the way. <laughs> And that's where I wanted to go to. I was accepted to go and I ended up staying in Connecticut. But yeah, that's where my cousin went. I, I just think we need to do that as West Indian people. You know, Black America is going to do for Black America what it does for itself, which is not a problem. But Black America is never really paying attention to the Caribbean. And if we as West Indian people come in and we infiltrate, we got to also reach back and pull in our own. You see how Vice President Kamala Harris is is is, is introduced as a first black female but we don't hear that she's a jamaican <laughs> you know what i mean we don't really hear that so yes we have to highlight her her roots as much as possible for us when you had eric holder eric holder was the attorney general of the united states under barack obama and it was never mentioned that he's from barbados see i didn't i didn't know that until just now and these are the things that I think are hugely important for us, because if you look at George Washington, the first president of the United States, he was trained in his military in Barbados. There's still a George Washington house at the garrison where the barracks are. It's still there to this day. Americans don't know this in history. A lot of West Indian people don't know this in history. He's the first president of the United States. So there's a connection to us as a region that we don't discuss enough. Charleston, South Carolina is a sister city to Spitestown in you know, like Jacmel in Haiti is the town that got Venezuela its independence because they built the ships there. There's so much rich history in our region that's not discussed on an international basis. So people just don't know. We're seen as vacation homes. Right, exactly. So back to the question I had a little bit earlier about your Caribbean heritage and you have your accent, like you really haven't like lost it, right? So does it help or hinder any of your connections you're making as you're networking and moving and shaking with people in the industry? It usually depends. When I was acting, my agent always told me, go in sounding as American as possible and then break out the accent at the end. So I have to go in and I have to really sound as American as I can. And then when I'm done, I could then start to talk like a Bayesian and say, yeah. And then all of a sudden they look at me like, wait, you know, and his reason for that was if you come in with your accent, unfortunately, these people won't be able to see past it. So they won't think that you can do anything else. But if you come in sounding as American as you are, and then you switch it up and they realize you're from someplace else, it blows them away to your talent. I don't know if they wouldn't think that you can't do anything else. I would not say that. Maybe that's what he said. But for me, I feel like they want to talk about that so much. Oh, you're from the Caribbean and da-da-da-da. It takes a whole nother 
journey to the conversation, but I wouldn't want anyone to think that talking in your natural accent should ever hinder what you can or can't do. I really, sh- I really shout out people like uh, Rihanna, who she ain't never tried to lose her accent. She just kept it, and we love her for that. But the difference is, okay, so now, and if you look at Rihanna, unfortunately, from an acting perspective, she doesn't get the roles acting-wise because they don't think she can do anything else. Right. So when you're an actor, it's very important to be able to show them. Like if you look at some of the the strong Irish or British or British actors, especially. You're talking about your agent as an actor, not as a director. Got it. That makes sense to me. As a director, it means nothing. Right. As a director, I keep my full accent. No, 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 no problem. No big deal. Whatever. But as an actor, I recognize the importance of doing that. And it helped me. Like I was the face of Amco. And so I went in as American and, you know, they, they hired the African-American male. And then um, one of the guys that were there, you know, thinking that he was going to mess me up, turned to them and said, well, you know, he's not even African-American. He's not from this country. And so I was like, would you shut up? <laughs> you know, these people wanted a black American man. So then the director said, oh, really? Where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Barbados. So he said, well, can you deliver the line as someone from Barbados? So I said, sure. And he said, do you do any other accents? And I was like, well, actually, accents are my thing. So he's like, really? He said, what else can you do? And I was like, well, I can give it to you from the UK. Like, how else would you like me to deliver? And so from the minute I started switching into the other accents and going in French and English and Indian and a little Hispanic, and they loved all of it, I ended up becoming, they were like, you know what? We're going to use you as the face of this commercial. (laughs) Okay, so in your best Bayesian accent, so has being an actor helped your role as a director? If so, how, why? In your best Bayesian accent. <laughs> as an actor, right? When you get in front of the camera and you doing what you got to do, and you standing up there and people like telling you, you know, you're coming in for extreme close up. You want to see your eyes. You want to see this. You want to see this motion. You got to understand you're, you're hitting your marks. You got to know your lines. Doing all of that in front of the camera, now that I'm behind the camera, it helped me make so much better decisions as a director. Like like 10 million percent, I'm a better director because I was an actor first. And I ain't only do acting on screen, I was acting in plays since I was young. So I've been doing plays from the time I was seven years old. So doing plays and TV commercials from young, that was good. But now when, when you take all of that information that you get from other directors and other actors and understanding like how to deliver, then again, behind the camera now, I know exactly what I need to see. You can't pull no wool over my eyes. I know when you're not hitting your mark. I know when you're doing what you're supposed to do. I know when it looked perfect. All of them kind of things. Like that, that is by far, hands down, one of the best attributes to being a director is having come from being an actor. Amazing. You did a good Bayesian accent. You shining from Barbados. No, man, I love it. I love to hear your, uh, your accent. I think Barbados, Trinidad, and I mean, I'm biased because I'm from the Virgin Islands. I love our accent, but I really, really love to hear Bajan speak. I love Trini and, of course, Jamaica. I mean, there's just so many beautiful accents out there. We all sound good. Yeah, like to hear when that Trini man come talking to you there, boy. Trini man is coming to say, girl, what's going on there? Okay. Now, let's don't take us to St. Lucia now because tell us about Sukuya and tell us about what the inspiration was because if people don't know what a Sukuya is, they will get to know it by watching this film. And it's a taboo type of thing to approach for a film. So tell us, what was the inspiration for tapping into the part of Caribbean culture that is so taboo? And uh, what was it like filming that movie and filming it in St. Lucia? 
So my phone rang a Monday morning and it was a friend of mine from New York and she has a film festival here called October Film Fest. And it's specifically for black filmmakers. And she called me and she said, hey, I have an opportunity to do the first ever St. Lucian Film Festival. And it's actually happening next week, Friday. And I heard that you were in St. Lucia. Can I put your film that you did in New York in the festival? And I said, sure, of course, no problem. And I got off the phone with her and I said, I wonder if I can make a movie between now, this Monday and next week, Friday. I have two weeks. So I contacted a friend of mine that I do a lot of writing stuff with, um, Jason Jeffers, who's an excellent source in film that you should get to know. He's out of Miami doing Third Horizon film. And they just won the Berlin Film Festival last year as, as West Indian people, which is amazing. But so I contacted him and I said, hey, listen, these are the assets that I have available to me. I have a boat, I have a house, I have this, I have that. You know, I want to make a movie. I don't know what it is. And he sent back to me one word, Sukuyon. And I was like, okay, but why that? So he's like, I don't know. That just came to me. So I went and I started doing some research that evening. And then by the following day, I sent him a script. I wrote a script overnight. And he was like, I love it. Go for it. But first of all, I love people who can write a script overnight. That is not easy. Yeah, my imagination runs deep. I wrote the feature to Sukuyon in six weeks. It's only on Saturdays and Sundays. I would spend Saturdays and Sundays about two to three hours per Saturday and Sunday, and I would write. But I wrote the I, I usually write an outline first, A to Z, which is the entire film, and then I go and then I take the outline and then I write the actual script and and character and and all the rest of it. So essentially, in 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 two weeks, I made the film. The first week was spent putting together a crew and people that I could help get to help. And no one knew anything about making a movie. The sound guy didn't know what a mic was or even how to hold it. He was a young 17-year-old kid whose parents said, hey, you do good stuff, and I want my son to be influenced by you. Can you give him a role? And I said, sure, he's going to be my boom operator. <laughs> and then I had to teach him how to hold a boom. And But the movie has great audio, and people are always like, oh, the audio is great. I'm like, yeah, that 17-year-old kid, right? My DP, essentially, he was shooting music videos on the beach, wanting to learn more. So I pulled him under my wing, and now he's a great director doing amazing stuff himself. A kid that I saw uh, taking photographs, walking across a crosswalk, I pulled him in and he was my BTS photographer. The real estate agent that found us our property became my producer. <laughs> like I just started pulling people in, giving them roles, figuring if you can handle managing real estate, you can be producer of a film. These are your roles and your responsibilities. And then we cast on the Saturday, started shooting Sunday night, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We shot four days and the film was, was shot and done. So I did accomplish my goal of making a film by that following Friday. So who edited the film? So then I had to edit it. So I finished shooting the Thursday. The Friday went to the festival, ended up winning the festival with my film. Then I had to leave the following week to go to the Trinidad and Tobago Film Festival. Went there for two weeks, did production there. So I couldn't edit yet. Then I had to go to Haiti after that for a month. Uh, and while I was in Haiti, sitting in my hotel room, I edited the film, did the special effects, the GFX, the visual effects. I did everything, sound, everything I did right then and there. What year did this happen? This is 2014. Um, and then as soon as I put out the trailer, Vimeo had a contest for trailer of the week. So I put it into their contest and I won trailer of the week, which then let me know we were on to something. And then Aruba had their film festival. So I put it in that. And you know, two months later, I'm in Aruba and we won jury selection in Aruba. Well, we got to check out this film. Where can we find Sukunya if, if we want to watch it today? Yeah, it's on Vimeo. You can find it on my Vimeo, Island Boy Films, and you'll see it there. And 
since then, I've written the feature, and I have Joseph Marcel and Jimmy Jean-Louis uh, attached to do it, and I'm aching to get this shot. I was hoping to do it this year, but because of the pandemic last year, I pushed it by a year, possibly two. Um, but I would love to get the feature-length version of this done, because the short, obviously being done in such a short space of time, doesn't tell the fullness of the story that I want to tell, and the feature is very different. And Asukiya, for people listening, is a what? So Asukiya, for people listening, the closest thing if you are a non-West Indian would be like a vampire. Um, if you're West Indian, you really understand the story and it's supposed to be, but I embellish the story, but it's a, it's an older woman who changes her shape and she's able to suck the blood out of your body, but without leaving any holes. And she usually has a tail and a foot. I tend to, she's a duppy, you know, a ghost, a la jablesse. We have all of these different names for these type of, of creatures that we have of our folklore. Uh, so one of my posters that I did, I have the names of all of the creatures on there, Dwen, et cetera. Um, so each country has a variation of it and Baku, you know, and so it's, it's fun to me to, to dive into those stories, but I wanted to embellish on the storytelling a bit. So the feature length version is the story of two detectives trying to solve a murder mystery. Um, and the murder mystery is about the Sukuyon. Awesome. Oh my God. I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to see that one. I haven't seen it yet, but I will. But what I have seen, which I have won my ways to is the road. You know, Marshall is one of my favorite, favorite, favorites. So tell us what it was like on that collaboration with Director X and working with Marshall. That was really interesting. So I, I told this story last week to uh, Swiss Beats's dad. I was fortunate to work with Swiss Beats's father at DMX last week on a shoot. And we were talking and we were discussing not knowing where your blessings would come from. And I said, you know, I wanted to get this camera and uh, I didn't know where I was going to get it. I just had shoulder surgery. And then I met someone who believed in me and they invested in me within a space of a week of meeting me and bought the camera. And as soon as I got the camera on the Friday, Che with Masha was like, oh, you have it? Okay, well then look, we need you to shoot this video. Can you get to Trinidad Sunday? And it was Friday. Um, so I flew down to Trinidad this Sunday and I started shooting Sunday, Monday. And then late Monday, they said, hey, guess what? We've been able to secure Director X is going to come in and you know work with you on this. So I was like, great. So then he flew in the Tuesday and we shot together on the road Tuesday and then we shot um, Wednesday. And it was great working with him, um, having the opportunity. Again, he was somebody that people had told me for years, you need to meet this guy. Um, but we, our paths just never crossed. And then they did. And we still communicate up to last week, Tuesday. Uh, we were on the phone on Tuesday. I called him. We spoke for a bit on Tuesday, so it was good. We were able to build a relationship going forward from there. Build it and keep the connection. That's amazing. That's so cool. And she totally won that versus battle, so good for her. Tell us what's next for you and what advice you have for our listeners wanting to break in as a director. So what's next for me is I'm off to Miami on Monday to shoot a spot for Burger King on Tuesday. It's an internal spot. We've been doing some internal projects for Burger King since last year, which have turned out to be great, along with the president of Burger King. So that's a phenomenal next step. And then I'm also working on a PSA for the state of Connecticut that we're getting ready to deliver any moment now. And then I'm pitching a couple of uh, shows to networks. And then for persons who are looking to get in as a director, you know, the first thing that I would say to anyone is you must absolutely love film. And if you absolutely love film, that means you can watch any film from any country, don't care what language, if it's black and white, good, bad, or indifferent. But that love of film takes you through the understanding of it. So you can go to Hitchcock 
or you can go to Japanese films, you can go to, um, you know, some samurai warrior films. You can just look at film on a whole and see the expression that it tells all the way across the board. Um, then from there, you'll know that you love film and you want to tell a story. The next step is how good are you at telling a story? Can you take me through the roller coaster ride of a story and not leave it just monotonous the whole way through or just get to a point and then drop off? Can you keep the suspense? Can you keep me all the way invested in this story all the way through? And then the last thing is, are you able to manage um, people? Um, being a director, you're responsible for an entire crew of people and how they feel throughout the day to give you the things that you need to have. So, you know, from the person who is doing what might be considered the smallest job to the person who's doing the biggest job, you still have a responsibility of making sure that they are, you know, in a good mood and in a good space throughout their day on your set because one bad mood or one bad thing can ruin a whole great day. So I tend to try to keep a very light, happy, loving mood on my sets all throughout. I go around and ask people how they are. I talk to them individually. I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty, those type of things. So I think those are the things for me that work great as being a great director and learning from others. So yeah, put in a lot of pre-production work so that when you're in production, you can get it. We just did a shot, 1,000 frames per second. We needed to squeeze an orange, one take, you know, and that was because we planned, 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 and then we got the hand, we squeezed it. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that one. Facts, facts, facts. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Sean. Like, that last bit of advice, if you took nothing else away, you have to, like, replay that last bit of advice and listen because that's exactly it hitting the nail on the head on what it takes to be a good director we love you sean thank you so much for stopping by the unstoppable yes you crew is so proud and pleased to call you a fellow caribbean thank you so much thank you patrice for having me and goodbye everyone goodbye take care and so to our listeners i hope you were able to gain viable insight to help you get your start in the entertainment industry to receive new episodes of this series directly in your inbox, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting our website at www.unstoppableyesu.com. Um, we also share a post like this on my site, which is caribbeangirlrocks.com and our Facebook pages as well. You can subscribe via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Red Circle, or Google Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. 